0: I'm in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over there, talking about gratitude in suffering. If I ask how many of you have suffered, I'll bet you there'll be some hands. I've got a pain chart. I want you to locate yourself on the pain chart, all right? Uh, I want you to decide whether you're no pain or high pain, okay? Have you seen this chart before? All right, now some of you may be thinking suffering. Man, life is going great for me. Well, that that means you would be at no hurt, okay? So big smile on your face, no problems. Somebody here may be at number 10. It hurts worse than it ever has before. Wherever you find yourself on the pain chart, this text, this scripture is for you. This is for you. Times are going good. This is for you. The worst it's ever been, this is for you. All right? Because we're talking about gratitude, thanksgiving, even in suffering. You know I'm going to join my family. There are probably going to be about 130 people at our Thanksgiving uh, dinner. And I'm looking forward to my mother's hot rolls. She's probably going to fix three or four hundred of them. She'll arrive at the meal with the rolls all rolled up and on platters everywhere, in the foot, uh, in the trunk, on the back shelf, on the floorboard. She's got all these rolls, and she wants them to be hot because that's how her boys like them. So she's going to put them in the oven, and she's going to cook them probably there on site. So we pull them out and put on the butter and all that and eat them just as hot as they can be. Mothers also ordered 60 pounds of mashed potatoes. Ten, yeah. There are six people that are supposed to bring 10 pounds each. So we're going to have a lot of food. But I am so grateful. I'm so thankful that it's Thanksgiving and that we can go to our families and give God praise and thanks for all his good gifts to us. He deserves our gratitude he does and the scripture says here in Colossians 3 verse 12 therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved you got to hear that now got to soak that in a little bit As God's chosen people, that's the Greek word, eclectoi. Sounds like an English word you know. Eclectic, doesn't it? What does eclectic mean? Gathers from all these different places. Puts this strange assemblage together. God's chosen people, picked here, picked there, picked there. You have to go back to verse 11 to understand why the therefore is there. Therefore, because Christ is in us all. Because Christ is all and is in us all. Therefore, because God has brought together his church. Because there is no longer in the church any Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. But Christ is all and is in all because there is no Greek or Jew, Paul says. And here is a Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees saying that in the church of Jesus Christ, God has assembled an eclectic body from all different places and pathways in the world. And when we get together... We lose our old labels. We put them behind us. He's still a Jew, all right? But in the church of Jesus Christ, that is way down here. Now, for him, being Jewish was more than being an American. I mean, we claim our American heritage very highly. When, when Paul says, no longer a Jew, that's not just his citizenship. That's not just his nationality. It's his ethnicity. In fact, it is his culture and his religion. And when he says Greek, he's talking about the Hellenists. And if you look at the map, you can see Judea here at the east end of the Mediterranean Sea. And you can see Greece thrusting down from the north a few hundred miles to the west. And he is saying, in the church of Jesus Christ, the Hellenists lay down their labels and the Jews lay down their labels because in the church, there's no longer Greek or Jew. There's no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarians or Scythians. I had to look up what a Scythian was. You know what a Scythian is? Somebody from southern Russia. What now is southern Russia? That part of the world. And they were considered wild beasts. These people had no limits, had no morals. That's how they were thought of. But some of them got in the church. Can you believe it? And so Paul says, no Scythians, no barbarians. Not even slave or free. We lose those labels when we come into the family of faith. And now we de-emphasize all those categories which prior to Christ labeled us and identified us. And who we are now is we are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We are an eclectic assembly of God's grace. He has chosen us from all the different places and all the different walks. And what I'm talking about is hard to do but necessary to do in the church of Jesus Christ because the church has never from the very first century looked alike, talked alike. It's always been a mixture of all kinds of people always and the diversity that is in this room really doesn't compare to the diversity that was at Corinth and Ephesus and Thyatira and Colossae back in that first century when, when slaves and, and free people got together and Jews and Gentiles like day and night they were and they came together in the church God's chosen people holy And dearly loved. Clothe yourselves. Here's some new clothes for you to wear. Okay? Here's some five new suits for the new man. Five new dresses for the new lady. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, how could that possibly happen, of course? (laughs) Oh, it's happened to you. You have a grievance against someone. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which is the overcoat that you put on when it's chilly outside. And some of you wore yours this morning. You put your dress on, you put your other clothing on, then you got that overcoat and you put it on. And when you walked into church, we saw the overcoat. That's what we saw. Over all of these new clothes that God gives you, you put on love. You snuggle into love. You cover yourself up with love. Why? It binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since, as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Through him. Forgive and be grateful. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you, so you are to forgive one another. You got to forgive for your own sake. You got this unforgiveness in you. Somebody did you wrong. It was wicked. It was awful. Nobody should have to endure what you endured, the betrayal, the dishonesty, the lies, the breach of trust, the deepest... Darkest thing that ever happened in your life, wielded by another human being against you. That's where forgiveness has got to go for you. You got to go there. And it's hard. But you got to forgive like God's forgiven you. And the Lord Jesus has stretched out his arms and died. He gave it all. He poured it all out on the cross. Everything, he left it there. In order that he might bring forgiveness to you from the east of your life to the west, from the north of your life to the south. From the first breath you take to the last breath you take, that you might be covered with every deed, every word, every outstretched hand, every movement of your heart, that you might be covered, every breath you breathe, by the forgiveness of God, complete, everlasting, and eternal, washed whiter than snow. God loves to forgive you that way. That's how Christ forgave you. That's the only reason you have heaven as your home, not because you've improved by 30%. That's not why heaven's your home. Heaven's your home be, is be, because the Lord Jesus laid his life down for you and forgave you from beginning to end. You are covered and blanketed by the forgiveness of God. It's amazing, it's astonishing. It's hard to get your mind around that God would forgive you that way, but that's what the forgiveness of God is all about. God did not forgive you because you were a pretty decent person and probably deserved to be forgiven. The mercy of God is by definition in your life undeserved. You don't deserve it. Just like the person God has called to your mind, and now the Holy Spirit is saying, you got to forgive him. And you are saying, but he doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve to be forgiven. She hadn't asked for forgiveness. She hadn't tried to make amends. She hasn't come to me. He hasn't come to me. And God's saying, forgive. Forgive before they ask. Forgive right now. Let it go. Let the anger go, let the bitterness go, let the resentment go, it's got to go. You're coming up to Thanksgiving. I met a lady in the airport Friday night, stuck in Houston in bad weather. And she said, my brother hasn't spoken to dad in over a year. It's going to be a strange Thanksgiving. Maybe that's come upon your family. Maybe there is discord and disharmony and somebody's been offended and they won't forgive and they won't make it right. Why do we hold on to the bitterness, resentment, and anger when God has forgiven us so completely and he has delivered us the power to let it go? And that's what you got to do. you got to let it go. Let it go this Thanksgiving. Make it part of your worship today. Part of the way to say thank you today is just let it go. And say it in your heart. Say it under your breath. Lord, I forgive him. I forgive him. So you can go on with life. For the sake of your spouse, forgive them. For the sake of those children looking up to you, forgive whatever grievance you have against another. Forgive for the sake of your friends and the people in your office and the folks that look up to you. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Just like he's forgiven you, you forgive Forgive and be grateful. If you are grateful for the marvelous grace God has poured out in your life in receiving you into his family, though you did not deserve it, and forgiving your sin, though you did not merit it, if you have received God's forgiveness, then You forgive too. And bear with one another. Bear with one another. We all know Miss So-and-So who talks and talks and talks. And somebody says, when's she ever going to slow down? And the answer is, she's not. And what you got to do as a brother and sister in the body is bear with her because we're all going to be imperfect till we get to heaven. And we know the man, Mr. So-and-so, who will not communicate. All he's got to do is just tell us, and he won't. And you say, when is he finally going to learn to share? What he's thinking. And the answer is probably not till he gets to heaven. So what are you going to do with that? You're going to bear with one another. Because we all have faults that run all the way to the core. And we are broken. That's us. We are forgiven. But we are not perfected. God's still working on us. And bearing with one another is part of what we do. Particularly when the diversity is so great in our families, in the body of believers, in what we value, what we cherish, how we talk, how we live our lives, our lifestyles, when there's such diversity. If you are so full of self-righteousness and pride that you think you are the standard for everybody else in the room, brother Have you got a new thunk coming? You need to lay aside that self-righteousness that says you're the standard and everybody ought to act like you and get rid of that. Part of what you need to put on is this new suit of humility. You know what this word is, don't you? Low. It's low. Low. It's lowliness of mind. That's how the old Bible used to translate it. Put on humility. Where you think of yourselves as little in your moral life, little in your spiritual growth, think of yourselves accurately. Compare yourself not to your neighbor but to God, to Jesus who saved you, to the perfect one, the spotless one. And clothe yourself every day with humility and say, I am not the standard for all human beings. I am not the standard for Christians in the church. What I think about so many things may be right, it may be wrong. I hold my my opinions tentatively. Put on that humility and bear with one another and forgive each other. And look to Christ as a standard for yourself and for all. Forgive and be thankful. Sing and be thankful. Sing to one another, he says. Songs, hymns, and spiritual songs... Make melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing is more fundamental than we ever dreamed. It's fundamental to the people of God. For over 3,000 years, we know, since David took up his harp, composed his poems out there in the pasture watching the sheep, the people of God have had a song stirring inside of them. And they take the cardiovascular capabilities that God gave them, and they force up a word of gratitude. Gratitude. A song to the Lord from the very depths of their being that goes up through everything about them and out into the universe God made is a great praise unto Him. (laughs) Sing and be thankful. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame, in love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing floor. And give amazing grace. Thank you for My dad lost his ability to sing. He said it took too much out of him when he was sick. I remember the last time I heard him sing. He sang all his life. He told me I was going to sing. He made song a part of my life. But you know, when baby Graham was in therapy... And he wasn't vocalizing right after he had fallen in that bucket and he'd been in ICU for 11 days. The therapist told us that when they started music, baby Graham started vocalizing. (laughs) Sometimes the brain is wired so that you can't get the words out right. But if you sing... They come. There's something about the way that song connects to the brain. You can learn your alphabet if you turn it into a song. Right? You can learn the 12 disciples if you turn it into a song. If somebody asks you who are the 12 disciples, you might have to say, they were 12 disciples. Jesus is going to help him. Simon Peter, Andrew, James and Brother John. You can go through it. You see? There's something about the way that song works in your brain that it stays sometimes when you can't remember anything the preacher said and all the sermons are gone and the scriptures seem a little scrambled, you still remember the songs. We sent Dad out with a song. We sang to him when he was dying and he couldn't sing himself. Your song, man... Husband, father, your song is important to your family. And it's okay if it's just a joyful noise. It's okay. That's all I thought I could ever make when I was 11. And dad said, you're going to sing bass. I just thought, I can't sing bass. I'm not going to sing. He was bigger than I was, so I sang. And I have never quit singing. I'm glad we sang, Dad, into eternity. And I hope that you will sing and give thanks, that you'll let loose whatever's caught right here and just go ahead and sing. And God will hear the song that comes from deep inside of you, and it will be an acceptable sacrifice unto him. Sing and give thanks and live, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed. I like that part, in word or in deed. I had somebody tell me this week after they'd gone to our website and I talked a little bit about our church, they said, y'all sound like real Christians. And I thought, well, (laughs) thank you. I feel so often that our Lord looks at us and says, What are you guys doing? You know, you 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 lose so much of what I wanted you to do, but but if anybody thinks we're a little bit like Jesus, that makes me happy because we want to be Jesus' people. And we know that words are not enough. It's not enough just to say, you got to do. It's word and deed, they go together. You know, we proclaim the gospel. And we demonstrate the gospel. We speak the gospel and we do the gospel. And if we don't do the gospel, then we don't really speak the gospel like we should. It's, it's more than spoken. That's why God became man in Jesus of Nazareth and walked on this earth. Because words are not enough. you got to have a life. And your life has to say, I love you, not just your words. They go together. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. All of it. Every part of it. Live and give thanks. What would motivate you? To drop all your busy life and show up at the Oz on Wednesday night to feed homeless people. What would possibly motivate you to do that? Maybe gratitude. <laughs> what would motivate you to take some time out of your busy schedule and go see a prisoner in OPP? Being thankful. Or going to Revard Juval Detention Center where becoming part of the bunny friend recreation team and coaching little boys or tutoring kids, what would motivate you? Gratitude. You you know how ingratitude ranks with God, don't you? If you read the list of vile, ugly sins in the Bible, you will see that ingratitude is among them. God says these people worshipped him not as God, neither were thankful. They weren't thankful for the heartbeat or the breath they took, the gift of life and sunshine and blossoms and birds, family and friends. Friends. All the rich experiences of life, they were not grateful. They were hard. They were bitter. They were resentful. They had no gratitude in their heart, so they steeled themselves up. Why spend time on anybody else when I am in such pain, when I've been so deprived? Why go do anything for anybody else, given the things that have been done to me? Man, i got to take care of my own stuff. I can't get out of me. Sometimes your pain does that to you. If you're not careful, the point of pain becomes so hot and powerful in your life that it just sucks you into its black hole. And you're all about your pain. That's all you are. You say, okay, it's got a grip on me. I got a pain that won't let go. So how do you get free? Well, you look around yourself and find somebody close who needs loved, And you go love them. Get off the couch and walk next door and love somebody. Be thankful you can still walk and talk and breathe and live and go bless somebody's life and that activity itself, just the act of caring for another person, will begin to break the grip of pain upon your heart and soul. Maybe you don't ever get pain free in this life, but you don't have to be its slave. So, what are you grateful for? Last time I was at Jefferson Healthcare, Jerry, we had a time of Thanksgiving. Everybody was sitting around in their wheelchairs. And People started thanking God for family and for parents and for caregivers who were taking care of them and different things like that. And then Daryl wanted to talk. And he scooted his wheelchair around a little bit like only he could and waved the stump of his right hand. that had a few twisted digits on it. But it's the only one he could wave because this other one was cut off right here he had no legs, no legs, no hands. And Daryl is a pleasant and wonderful person to be around. I met him two years ago when I was talking to his roommate who didn't know the Lord. I don't know how he couldn't know the Lord, haven't known Daryl. That roommate was hard inside, and I discovered that Daryl was soft. He had a sweet spirit. And he said that day, I want to thank God for heaven. When I get to heaven, I'll have my arms and my hands and my legs, and I'll be whole. fresh out of things to give thanks for, are you? Caught up in the trouble of your life, bound up by the pain that has gripped you, the sorrow that won't let go. There's a place in your life for real, deep down, genuine, all out gratitude to God. And he is worthy of that praise. And if you lift your thanks to him, it will free your heart. Bow with me, please. God, we're so grateful. Help us to act like it even today in this place. Lord, if there's somebody here who's never received the great gift of salvation that you offer through Jesus, would you draw them to yourself? I pray that you would move in our hearts to be grateful enough to turn gratitude into action.